As we prepare to open God's word together, let's pray a prayer of illumination from Psalm 119. Let us pray together. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We desire to keep your righteous rules and so give us life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept our <clears throat> free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach us your rules. Your testimonies are our heritage forever, for they are the joy of our hearts. Father, by your Holy Spirit, incline our hearts to follow your word forever to the end. And hear us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, and please turn with me in God's word to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to consider together a portion of uh, the Pentecost sermon that Peter preached on that first Pentecost. So we're going to begin our reading at verse 22 of Acts chapter 2 and read through verse 41. Then also as our guide for understanding God's word tonight, we're going to look at Heidelberg Catechism 27. So Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. This is the Apostle Peter preaching. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, I love considering that sermon. Um, I love the power with which Peter preaches it. I love to think of um, maybe he got some laughs when he said, I can say to you with certainty that David died um, and he was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Um, I think there's a lot of wonderful things to, be, to remember about this, but maybe most of all as we consider baptism, we can remember what our God says about what baptism signifies, the promise that it pictures to God's people. And certainly it's an important thing that we understand baptism when we understand everything about baptism as it's explained to us in Scripture. Um, And whenever the sacraments come up, we always have questions. Uh, There's no one that doesn't have questions when it comes to the sacraments. So if you have questions when you think about baptism and Lord's Supper, you're in good company. Um, We need to talk about them and think about them and continue to understand them. And as we talked about last week, when the Heidelberg Catechism discusses the sacraments, the way it handles them is to spend one Lord's Day explaining the basics and then take another Lord's Day to clarify some things. Uh, to ask some important questions and to clarify our understanding. Um, We talked about baptism last week and reminded ourselves that there's an outward sign in baptism, water washing dirt away from the body. And the purpose of the sacrament is to signify and to assure us that as surely as water washes away dirt from the body, so the blood of Christ washes away the guilt of our souls. Uh, So the spirit of Christ is that washing of regeneration that makes us new and sanctifies us after the image of God. And so there's a picture in baptism that's meant to convey a certain reality about a spiritual reality, a very important spiritual reality, that we are washed from our sins, that we are cleansed from our unrighteousness, that we are renewed after the image of Christ, um, and that we can be as sure of that as we're sure that water washes away dirt from the body. As surely as that water has been applied to us, that reality is true for us. Um, And so scripture so closely connects the sign and the promise uh, that we need to be clear how those things work together. Because it's always been true in the history of the church, there have been misunderstandings about the close connection of the sign and the things signified. How do we understand the proper relationship between the water and grace? Uh, between the water and what's promised in the water. Um, And that's one of the things that we need to to talk about in baptism. How is the sign and the seal uh, connected to the thing that they signify? Um, And that's really what questions 72 and 73 are about um, in Lord's Day 27. How How are the sign and the things signified connected to one another? How do we rightly understand the connection? Uh, That's the first thing we really want to talk about. Make sure we understand the proper relationship there. Um, and to understand that relationship, and then also understand why do we baptize children? Uh, one of the things that we find as we remember what is being signified and sealed to us in baptism is that where faith is, there grace accompanies it. Um, that's, that's how we will unite these two things together, the sign and the thing signified. How do they come together to work in the life of God's people? Well, by faith. And so the question then comes, well, what about infants? They don't have faith. 
right? I was at my five-year-old nephew's birthday party yesterday, and I have a two-year-old nephew, and he doesn't make any sense. Um, He doesn't tell me whether he believes in Jesus or not. He just whines when the toy floats away from him in the pool. You know, there's, there's not a lot of a mental going on there that he could profess or confess faith in Christ. And so why did we baptize him? Why was the covenant promise extended to him? Why is it extended to children? How do we understand those things? And so we want to go through that together. Think about how to relate the sign to the thing signified. um, And also then to ask the question, if that's true, that it represents the grace that is accompanied when faith is there, then how does that relate to children. These are important questions to clarify when it comes to the doctrine of baptism. Um, one of the things that has always been a challenge in the history of the church is to answer that initial question. Um, what is the spiritual connection between the sign and the thing signified? Um, and generally in the history of the church, there have been sort of three alternatives. Now, again, if you're going to do something for the whole history of the church, you're going to necessarily need to be broad and simplify greatly confusing things, right? Um, But when it comes to the sacraments, the the church has essentially made three, taken three positions. Uh, One is that the sign and the thing signified are so closely connected, it almost works like magic. Now, I told you I was going to be really overly simplistic, right? Um, But that that the grace that is signified in the sign is so closely connected to the sign that just to do the sign is to convey the grace. Um, you know, there's, there's fancy Latin words for this sort of thing, ex opere operato, the doing of the thing, it's done. Um, and, and there's been times in the church where they say, it's, if you put the sign on them, they receive the grace. It's there in the sign somehow. And to convey the sign is to convey the grace. Um, and, and therefore, it almost works like magic. Um, that, that's where we've gotten a lot of confusion in the church as a result of that thinking about magic. Um, boys and girls, you know that all magicians say hocus pocus at some point. Um, what you might not know is that comes from the Latin mass because there were people who were sitting there who could not understand Latin and heard the priest when he converted the elements into the body and blood of Christ said hoc est corpus meum. And you're sitting there and you don't know Latin and so you might elbow your neighbor and say, what do you say? I don't know. I think it sounds like hocus pocus. Um, and so that's, that's where that comes from, because the priest would say, hocus corpus meum, this is my body. Um, and so there, there has been a mistake of thinking it's almost like magic. You just have to do it, and in the doing of it, it's done. And then in a reaction against that, some people will say, well, no, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to make that mistake and say that the grace is so connected to the sign that just to do it is to do it. So what we want to understand is that the grace is operating, but it's operating not really apart from the sign. And so the sign is a picture that points to the reality, but the reality is not really there. Um, And that mistake is not to make it magic, but to make it really a mirage. It says it's doing something, but it's not really doing something. Um, It it says it's, it's the body of Christ, but it's not really. It says it's like Christ's blood washing away the sin of your soul, but it's not really. And so then it just becomes a picture, not really connected to the reality. I told you I was going to way overly simplify it. Right? That, that's really what the church has made the mistake of, is taking something that is a means of grace and turning it either into magic or into a mirage. Either it's so closely connected that the grace is almost in the sign, 
or it's so disconnected that the, th- the sign and the, signify, the things signified are not really together at all. And what we always want to do is say, no, what does God's word do? What does God's word show? That the promise, that the grace promised is intimately connected with the sign of the promise that God has left us. We want to maintain a very close connection with the, th- with the sign and the thing signified without turning it into magic. And how do, we, how do we do that? How do we clarify that view? Well, we say where the sacrament is received in faith, grace accompanies it. Where the sacrament is received in faith, grace accompanies it. Um, that's where you see the connection. And that's what questions 72 and 73 are trying to accomplish for us. Help teach us this truth from Scripture. And say, does the water of baptism wash away the sin of your soul? See, that's the magic mistake that this question is talking about. And what is the answer? No, only Jesus Christ's blood and Holy Spirit cleanse us from our sins. So the sign is not the thing signified, right? So we don't want to make the magic mistake, but neither do we want to separate these two things. We want to maintain that close connection by grace and faith. And so question 73 goes on to say, why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the water of rebirth and the washing of regeneration? Um, the washing away of sins. Um, why, why does the Holy Spirit say that in the Scriptures? Right, We looked at that last week, didn't we? That the, the Scriptures say that baptism is the washing of regeneration. That the Scriptures say baptism washes away your sins. Right? The Scriptures say that. So why would the Holy Spirit say that if we're not to make the mistake of thinking that they're so intimately connected that just by the doing of the thing it's done? And that's why this question is so important. And the answer is so important. God has good reason for these words. To begin with, he wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ take away our sins just as water removes dirt from the body. But more importantly, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly washed of our sins spiritually as our bodies are washed with water physically. Um, the water doesn't wash away our sins, but the blood and spirit of Christ do, and they are connected to the sign. God wants that connection there because otherwise we lose our assurance. Right? The minute we don't think the sign is really connected to the reality, it ceases to function as an assuring ordinance in the life of God's people. It, teaches, it's, it ceases to really teach us. It ceases to really assure us Something large is lost if we don't maintain that connection. And that's why the Bible speaks so clearly about these things and almost to a sense where it seems like baptism is how you get your sins forgiven. Right? Did you notice that when, in Peter's sermon when everybody's cut to the heart and, he, and he's, he has that moment where even the unbelieving crowd is asking him, what must we do to be saved? What does he say? He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Does Peter want them to lose the connection with the sign and the thing it signifies? Is Peter somehow confused about it? Well, no, in 1 Peter 3, 21, like we read last week, he says, it's not, baptism doesn't function as a washing away of dirt from the, the body. That's, it's not functioning that way. It's the testimony of a good conscience before God. Peter's not confused about what baptism does, but he wants to maintain that close spiritual 
connection that God has. Why? So that the people there will be taught that they are washed by the Christ whom they crucified. Um, you know, we, we can't lose the marvel of that passage, right? What, what cuts them to the heart? It's Peter preaching in a powerful way. Know that the Jesus who God has made both Lord and Christ, you murdered. And when they're cut to the heart and say, what can we do to be saved? In an amazing way, he says, repent and be washed in the blood of the one you killed. Be washed in the blood of the one you murdered. And something amazing will happen. You'll receive forgiveness of your sins. Is there a greater hope that can be given to those who've crucified the Son of God than to say, the Son of God will make you clean? The one you killed will cleanse you from your sins? Does God want us to lose the wonderful connection of the promise that's signified in that washing? No, that, that close connection has to be maintained. And I think where we struggle with the sacraments is we, we lose sometimes the connection they have to the Word. Right? We, we try to simplify the sacraments by saying they're just visible words. And they're visible words that are confirming just what the preached Word has said. And we shouldn't lose the thread that we had when we first started the discussion of baptism. What are the sacraments intended to do? They're intended to direct God's people to the only ground of their salvation, which is the crucified Lord. Right, The Lord who died on Calvary for their sins. That is the only hope, the only ground of our salvation. And the sacraments are intended to point us there. Just as the Word is intended to point us there. So what did Paul preach? He preached Christ crucified. And what does baptism preach? Christ crucified. And what does the Lord's Supper preach? Christ crucified. Right? We're slow. We need this kind of thing. Every, it's all about Christ crucified. It's all trying to point you to that same place. And sometimes we get really confused by the sacraments because we forget that they function like, vis, like visible words. They're, they're just pointing us where the Word has told us to look. And if we think about them like the Word, we'll understand better how the grace operates. And it'll help us resolve some of the confusing questions that we have in our minds. It's a visible Word. It's pointing to the same thing the preached Word points to. And so what happens in the preached Word? Christ is preached. And what happens in the sacraments? Christ is preached. Right? Um, and, and who is Christ preached to? He's preached to everyone in the covenant community. Um, and who does that baptism come to? It comes to everyone in the covenant community. Does the preached word have the same effect on everyone in the covenant community? Everybody hears it. But for whom does it do a saving work? It does a saving work in those whom the Spirit is active, creating faith in their hearts. And the same is true of baptism. It's effective for those who the Holy Spirit is doing a saving work in their hearts. You see how if we, if we just relate the sacrament to the Word, we start to resolve some of those questions that tend, tend to haunt us. 
in these things. And I think it's because we don't really grasp that the, that the grace that's offered in the sacrament is no different than the grace that's offered in the Word. It's, it's a mean, they're both means of the same grace. They're both means that communicate the same Lord, the same promise, the same gospel, the same crucified Savior. I think sometimes we get confused because we, we compartmentalize grace. We think there's one grace that comes in the Word, and there's another grace that comes down there, and there's another grace over there. And what we have to remember is, it's all pointing to the same thing. It's all the same grace talking about the same Savior. Um, I always love what Dr. Howell Jones said. He said, sacraments are not a means of special grace. They are a special means of grace. You might say, well, why is that so great? Um, Because what he's saying is they're not special means of grace. There's not a special grace there that's not in the preached word. It's all the same grace conveying the same Christ. They're they're doing the exact same thing. Um, Or listen to the Reformed theologian Gerhardus Voss on baptism. It is not a grace that could not also be received through the word. Sacramental grace is the regular grace of the means of grace. Baptismal grace is the same grace as grace apart from baptism. The whole Christ is presented in both word and sacrament. What does the preached word present to God's people? All of Christ. And what does the Lord's Supper present to God's people? All of Christ. And what does baptism present to God's people? All of Christ. This is particularly important for those of us who have weekly communion. Um, I enjoy having the privilege of weekly communion. I've served at two churches now where we do it, and, and it's a wonderful practice. I love it. But there are, not everyone has agreed. Not everybody does that practice. And sometimes you'll meet people who'll say, you know, we went to another church. It was a good Reformed church. We had heard a good sermon. It was a good liturgy. Everything was great about it, but, you know, we didn't celebrate the Lord's Supper. And they speak almost as if they got half of Christ. And they missed half of him. And what we always want to maintain is the truth is the whole of Christ is presented in his word. And what's offered in the sacrament is a confirmation of that one Christ. It's the same grace. It's the same Lord. If you go to a place where Christ is faithfully preached, you haven't missed part of Christ. Because it's the same grace that's conveyed there. And I think that's why the sacraments become so hard for us. Because we think there's something special and different happening there than is happening in the way God works elsewhere. But I think if we maintain that idea that it's the same grace operating, it will understand better how these things work. We can't willfully neglect the sacraments, but the whole of Christ is presented in the Word. And the whole of Christ is presented in the sacrament. So when it comes to the, to the word preached, is Christ truly present there? Yes. When it comes to the sacraments, is Christ truly present there? Yes. See how? Same thing, the preached word and the visible word. And what is the effect? Are people changed simply by hearing the word? No, they need the spirit to operate by grace through faith in their lives. The same is true of the sacrament. It doesn't come automatically by the sacrament coming to you. It's when the sacrament comes and the Holy Spirit is at work by grace through faith in the sacrament. The grace depends on the work of God, on the work of the Spirit, on the faith 
that's present. He confers the grace for us to be renewed and to have faith and to believe in Him and to use it for our saving benefit. Without the Holy Spirit's gracious work, the sacraments are of no saving good to our soul any more than the Word is of any saving good to our soul apart from the operation of the Holy Spirit. Um, God works, and in working, the grace comes to us. That's why we never want to lose the connection that God makes so clearly in His Word. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Take, eat, and this will nourish you to eternal life. We never want to separate the reality there, but we recognize the reality operates by grace through faith. Just as surely as it operates by grace through faith in the preached Word. And if it operates by grace through faith, then why do we baptize infants? Right? Is baptism a sign of faith? Yes. Right? The blood and spirit of Christ wash away our soul. That comes by faith. But does that mean that by that, by virtue of that, that the sign has nothing to do with children in the covenant? That's why question 74 is so helpful. Why do we baptize infants? Right? If the sacrament of baptism is conveying the grace of faith, should it be administered to infants who don't yet have the capacity to believe? And what does question 74 say? Should infants also be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people, and they no less than adults are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who works faith. Um, Baptism is a sign that's for members of the covenant community. And who are members of the covenant community? Who has always been members of the covenant community? Believers and their children. That was the promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis 17. Right? Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8, we read, God saying, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Right? The members of the covenant community were clearly believers and their children. And that doesn't change when we come to the New Testament. It would be very strange, wouldn't it, if, if this promise that in the New Testament gets bigger in every way, in that way shrunk? And is that what our Lord taught us? Didn't he say in Matthew 19, 13 through 14, then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And Peter says in Acts 2, the promises for them. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians seven fourteen that they're holy. They're not just, you see, members of the covenant community. They're proper recipients of the promises. When our Lord says theirs is the kingdom, and Peter says theirs are the promises, and Paul says they are holy, they have that identity and that promise from God. And so having the reality 
why would you deny them the sign of that reality? Having the kingdom and having the promise and being holy, why would you deny them the thing that is the sign of being holy? I think that, that was a really insightful argument that John Calvin made, and I, I've never really heard a good answer to it. Because he's saying the sign is less than the reality, certainly. And if you have the reality, why would you not deny someone the sign? They're part of the covenant community. They're members and the promises belong to them. And because they're members and because the promises are theirs, the sign of those promises are to be extended to them. The word operates, the sacrament operates according to the reasons, according to the promises and the principles that God has given to it. In the old covenant, believers and their children were given the promises and they received the sign. In the new covenant, believers and their children are given the promises and so they receive the sign. And again, where people get hung up is, well, what about people who show themselves by their life and conduct they never had any part of Jesus Christ? Doesn't that create a problem? Um, but you see, that was the same problem in the Old Testament. Right? That, that, that's Paul's point in Romans 9. Where he says in Romans 9, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham because there is are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of promise who are counted as offspring. God has identified our children as being part of the covenant community. And we shouldn't be so reformed that we read them out. That when God has said that they are holy and part of my people, that we sort of say, well, I mean, yes, but not really. Um, they have to have faith. In Please don't apologize for God's word. God has said, you are mine and your children are mine. God has said that. Um, not the Heidelberg Catechism, God has said that. Um, and so we, we should not undo that. We shouldn't treat them like they're not. But God's word says there is the reality that there are some who grow up and, and reject God just like Ishmael did, just like Esau did. They were recipients of the same promise. They were part of the community and they turned their back on it. They treated that glorious thing as a common thing. Right? Esau sold what was his for a bowl of stew. That's how much he thought of being part of the covenant people of God. Um, but the reality is, God's promises haven't failed. Um, not all Israel has been Israel. It's always been that way. And that's why we never tell our children, you were baptized, so you're going to be fine. Right? We say, you need to put your faith and trust in Christ. You know, our baptismal, our baptismal form is great on this because it sells it so big that people have looked at our baptism form and say, I think you're talking about baptismal generation. That starts to sound like magic. And then the form says, but you know, every covenant has two parts. And those who are given these great promises by God are to make them theirs by faith. 
God has made a legal bond with us. We are to make it a living fellowship by faith. We are called to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these things don't operate at odds with each other. Um, Circumcision was a sign of faith when Abraham was given it. And it was for him and for his children. Baptism is a sign of grace by faith when it's given to us. And it's for us and our children. The promise is for them. Um, That's why no one who has been baptized has to doubt. whether are, Are these promises for me? If I put my faith in Christ, will his blood really wash away my sin for their many? Will his spirit really make me new? Because I'm sick of old me and I'd love to have a new one. Um, Have you ever felt that sort of cry of the heart? I'm sick of being a sinner. I'm sick of the guilt. I'm sick of the pollution. Can I really be cleansed? And God has given us this beautiful sign to say, just as surely as that water washes away dirt from your body, so the blood and spirit of Christ will wash away the guilt of your soul. Don't mistake the water for the grace, but don't think it has nothing to do with it. Christ used that ordinary thing to seal an extraordinary promise in your life. And if you've been baptized, you know the promises for you. Because he's testified, and the one who's spoken is true. Let's never lose the connection of the glory that God has given us in the sacrament, just as glorious as the word that proclaims to us there was a death on Calvary that can acquit the sin of your soul, that can wash you and make you clean. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit operating in your life, faith will bring it alive. It will all be his work, and all to his glory, and all for your good. Praise God that we have such a blessing from our Savior. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are for this sign and seal. We confess that in our weakness we often do make mistakes of either making too much of the sacraments or making too little. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us when we haven't used them in a right manner and when we've forgotten their importance and significance. And we pray that you would once again testify to our hearts the simple glory of the word preached and the visible word conveyed in the sacrament. That we come with nothing in our hands as sinners and we find that there is a fountain that makes sinners clean. That solely by your grace and by the operation of your spirit, Christ's blood is applied to us That just as surely as that water is applied to us, so surely his blood removes the guilt of our soul. And just as surely as that water washes dirt from the body and is applied to us, so his spirit washes us for regeneration. It makes us new. It cleanses our hearts and minds. It conforms us to the image of our Lord. We thank you for that promise that you have helped us in our weakness. Give us this sign that confirms our faith, that helps us know that faith in Christ will make the foulest clean. And so we pray that all here would embrace that truth and believe in Christ by faith and look to our baptisms as an assurance of that faith and grace. And Lord, help us to use these things aright for our comfort, to believe and to be taught by them, but most of all, to be assured of the salvation that is ours for all who believe in Christ. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.